Welcome to No Gods, No Master Volumes. I'm Simon, I'm a record producer, musician, and I make pedal demos as Tunnel of Reverb. And I'm Guion, I run Holy Island Audio, a one-man effects pedal operation from Wales. This episode, we talk to Dave from Baltimore Sonic Research Institute. You may know BSRI from their wide selection of pedals, such as Everything We Don't Know About the Ocean Floor, Little Mountains, Little Valleys, or Floriography. We cover the origins of BSRI, how he undertook the project of building almost every boss pedal for fun, and how he joined forces with Damnation Audio. So where, like, take us back to the start of um, BSRI, and, like, how, what, what, was, what got you into building pedals? So I've been building stuff for a really long time. By the time I started BSRI, like back in the mid-2000s, I was building a lot of like germanium fuzz clone type of thing. And like when when DIY became a lot more like prevalent on the internet. And I I stopped building for a while just because I kind of got burned out on like the culture of that at the time where everybody, you know, there were 10 new companies a week putting out a rat, a tube screamer, and a super hard-on clone. Mm-hmm. and claiming they were original and gooping stuff. And it was just like, I don't know, it was a weird vibe where like running a business was sort of miserable. And so I got back into building because I was recording a record with the band I was in at the time. We didn't have a bass player and I was going to track bass on the record and I needed a bass fuzz for that stuff. And I didn't want to like have to go and buy half a dozen things to see what worked and spend a bunch of money. Mm. So I thought I would just get uh, sort of like a super fuzz DIY PCB and add some EQ and sort of wrap a blend circuit around that and cobble this thing together that had a mile of wire in it and, and make a thing that would work for what I wanted to do, like the building blocks that I wanted. Yeah. And then that ultimately became the first BSRI pedal, which was FCZ. Oh, okay. Cool. Do you find like that when you're going about design and stuff now, you still have that aspect of, um, I need something for the band. Cause I didn't, I didn't realize, uh, the band you were in, uh, the wind and the trees. I've been listening to, uh, I assume it's your last record, but I've been listening to that a load on Spotify. I didn't realize until Simon did his write up before this episode that you were in that band. Um, so, uh, I'll, tr- I'll try not to, um, <laughs> To fan talk, yeah, to <laughs> too much about that, but I really enjoyed that record. Do you find that, um, you know, working on records like that is still a reason for designs to come into existence? Yeah. So everything I make is because I'm I want something, and maybe I don't want to. You know what the, what other people are making isn't exactly what I want, or I just want to have my own thing because part of part of what I do is like the art project of it all is like making the graphics and doing the PCB design and all those little things, putting together sort of like a complete product. And so I do that stuff all the time. And like 50% of those things end up becoming products, but a lot of them are just like, Oh, I want, I want this thing. And I don't really want to like buy one of the ones that other people are doing. Yeah. So it's like, I've made, I've made myself a lot of like unsellable things because it's like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make and sell a clone. A thousand people do that. It's not, yeah. it's not a world I want to be in. So it's like, I have made myself a clone that has little tweaks and has my aesthetic and, you know, lots of little things where it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to put out clones of things, but I'll make them for myself in sort of like the, the R and D purpose of like digging through things and, figuring out what makes them work 
think that makes sense i mean if you if you've got the capability to be building stuff like it would be odd not to i think and you learn like a fair bit just about what you know what you like it's yeah i guess yeah it's just r&d isn't it it's uh exploring different circuits in that way so i i love doing it but then i get the same thing where i'll get messages of people being like oh uh just tell me the price for that and it's like well not everything has to be uh sold it's kind of yeah it can just be for fun <laughs> mm, yeah oh yeah i mean i i get that a couple months ago i built like I designed and built copies of every analog boss distortion pedal and like made this post on Reddit that was just sort of like, I did this. Here's a thing. Yeah. And I got a bunch of messages where people are like, Oh, how much for a blank? How much for a blank? Yeah. And I was like, I mean, at face value, this was a crazy product. It was like 22 completely through hole custom designed pedals. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with PCBs and faceplates. Mm-hmm. So like just the cost of building that many one-off pedals was yeah. like over two grand. It was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, you know, and it was like yeah. super fun and I learned a lot and, mm. you know, now they're all just like in a box under the workbench, but I, I got people like reaching out, be like, how much yeah. for one of these? And I'm like, well, you can buy the real thing for a hundred dollars yeah <laughs> and yeah. i would charge what my pedals cost for this mm-hmm. you should really just buy a real one or you know there's like a, a small subset of boss pedals that are very desirable and people are like oh how much for the fc2 clone and i was just go buy a peppers pedals humongous fuzz like mm-hmm. that one exists i've not played one but i'm like that dude knows what he's doing i'm sure it's super good it has loads of features so i was just like getting messages and be like, I'm not going to build one for you. Go buy this thing that this guy makes. It's cool. I love that. One of the answers to that was boss, make this, you can still buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's just like, and the weird one that I got a lot of questions about was the DS two. A lot of people want a DS two. And it's like, I think that pedal is probably like $120 new. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't exist on like the, in the boutique market because it has, a FET switching system for the turbo mode that is outside the realm of what people learn in learning to build pedals. So people see that in the schematic and they don't really know what it is. Yeah. And so they're intimidated by it. And there, there are apparently a lot of people that want a DS2 clone. And so it's just like, I guess somebody could build that, but it's also like, do just buy the real thing? Every one of mm-hmm. your heroes that the reason people want a DS2, they just used a DS2, just buy a DS2. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like an unobtainable dream. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, it's not like I cloned some like crazy thing that, you know, you can't even buy a used one. If, if you yeah. go on Reverb right now, there's probably 200 DS2s for sale. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it's people trying to find like, you know, the magic one or some sort of... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such an odd mentality, but I definitely think people make these they make them sort of like mythical items it's such an odd thing that guitarists seem to do yeah yeah i think that's definitely true mm. yeah it reminds me of like when um people were putting counter fives on reverb for like crazy money and you yeah. could just buy them new from the website like, <laughs> yeah but and people were yeah. like buying them for these prices and it's like they're still available like what are you doing mm. <laughs> Well, and that's like, that's loads of things. I think there's a lot of people that only buy pedals on reverb. That's the Mm -hmm. only place they get stuff. And they don't realize that you can buy it new. Or there's also the really weird mentality 
in just the entire market right now that that everything is limited and there's just going to be like one small batch. And I think, yeah, you know, people talk about that all the time. It's like, no, I spent a lot of time designing this. I'm trying to sell a thousand of them. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why this is especially true. It's like, uh, you know, John Snyder, John Snyder, John Snyder, the sending, you know, <laughs> he like with the sending people are like, yeah. Oh, I hope I can get one. It's like, is there going to be yeah. another batch? And it's like, that guy spent five years making this pedal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He I has want to make a thousand of them. <laughs> he yeah. has two employees. Like there are mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing this for real. He's not going to make one batch of fifty pedals and just that's a wrap onto the next thing. <laughs> but like a couple, you know, it's fun to do limited stuff, but it's like very little. Very few things are truly like limited. Everybody is mm-hmm. just like running businesses like we're trying to make a bunch of stuff we want everybody to be able to get it like yeah yeah and also like want to pay your rent this yeah but then i guess it's i wonder if it's like the sort of gouging culture on reverb that makes people sort of it's like a weird like panic mode that sets in where they're like oh my god it's gonna sell out it has to sell out like yeah maybe yeah yeah. uh, it could be your missing tone that makes you write a great record you know (laughs) yeah that's why you're not (laughs) Signs is a major label you want to be signed to or whatever. <laughs> like, didn't have the right DS2. <laughs> oh, yeah, you need a BSR DS2. And, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was worth the 500 bucks. <laughs> I should just put it on reverb for $500. Dude, someone will buy it. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, like, part of it, like, that pedal is really cool. Part of me is like, oh, it's like, would it be worth doing, like, a little batch of them? Mm-hmm. But at the same point, it's like I have a collection of basically almost every boss pedal, like in box, except for the ones that, you know, cost a mortgage payment, like a Spectrum and a Slow Gear. And it's just like, if you just buy, if you can buy the real thing, get the real thing. It's not like we're talking about like the British pedals from the 60s that like cost $5,000. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, like I've played probably like a dozen of those real pedals over the year and every one i played was just like oh this one's super blah (laughs) (laughs) so like different as well like that was my experience tolerances especially with the older stuff like and just floating stuff and things degrading it's um same with recording gear as well like over the years i've used a lot of the like uh like you say like the hard to find mythical items or whatever and I've used multiples, and I'll be like, okay, well, this sounds like astronomically different to the last whatever compressor that I tried. Like, there's no like, mm. uh, you know, you could find a magic one, but there are duds out there as well. Mm. Well, there's also like, a, there's kind of like a gear equivalent to never meeting your heroes. Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. those those pieces of gear are better mm. in your imagination than really yeah. getting one. Yeah. Especially like sometimes like for instruments, it's like if you get the dream instrument, then you're afraid to play it because you don't want to hurt it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, I've also played some like crazy old expensive guitars and I've just been like, this is like whatever. Like I'd rather play like a squire. Like yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't feel good. Well, you could probably play that squire with such conviction mm. and fearlessness that mm. you could not do the same thing if somebody handed you a guitar or you bought a guitar for $8,000 mm, yeah. and you're just like, there are, there are some people that will buy an instrument like that and, and play it to death and wear it out. 
But other people, it's like if you've spent years saving for a thing and you finally get it, mm. are you really just going to blast on it like there's no tomorrow? That's no, true. Yeah. And like, you know, am I going to play my basement show with it? Maybe, but I might be too scared. It, yeah. Is the van going to get robbed after that show? It's. Uh... <laughs> well, I think the only person I know that does buy the expensive stuff and then beat it to death uh, is Evan Craig. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a. Uh... Yeah. He'll get a new obstructures and post a picture of it two days later, and it's like half of the finish is just like filed off by a metal pick. Yeah. And I'm like, respect, brother. Like yeah. you're doing it. I love it. You're yeah, committing. I love seeing what they've done to it. Yeah, they're tools, aren't they? Especially yeah. uh, when Evans hammering away at them. Oh, absolutely. I also loved bringing it back to Alec as well. When Alec got that obstructures, and I feel like one of the first things he did was hit it with the. Obstructors fuzz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. I mean, there's there's something to be said for like if the instrument is supposed to be indestructible, do what you can to test that. Yeah, and it it kind of like it reminds me, you know, people might be like for or against relic guitars, but I remember being in college and my roommate bought um like a Fender Relic P bass, and we got it home, and I was like, this thing is sick. And he said, he's like, yeah, and also you just can't hurt it. And he just like took a screwdriver and just like smacked into the body and put another, put another new dent in it. And he was just like, see, doesn't matter. And I was like, man, because <laughs> I've had a guitar like that before and I put some wear on it. And I was just like, man, this wear looks very different from the fake wear. And now the guitar looks yeah. weird and just, <laughs> yeah. just overthinking it. And the, you know, I love seeing dudes that just like, play the stuff like they mean it kind of like regardless of how many paychecks it costs them oh for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah it does make you play differently for sh- i think mm. plus it's, it's exciting to watch bands like that as well as uh, especially if i know that it's stressing other people out i don't that's, yeah. <laughs> that's an issue with me i think where i'm like yeah Dude, <laughs> i remember we played a show where we broke we one of the guitars we had in our band was an american strat with humbuckers and it it got broken multiple times, and one day, like it, the neck broke, or the I can't remember what exactly broke. And we were getting like DMs on Facebook, being like, "Like, how could you do that?" And it wasn't like an intentional break; it was just a kind of it got broken while we were playing. And we were getting these DMs like, "How could you break that?" Like, I would have gladly taken that from you. Did you, you get, know, all did these, you get like, the? Uh... You should have given that to orphans. I see that comment. A yeah. Lot people yeah. Wreck it's like, what's an orphan going to do with it? <laughs> and I just remember, it was like, I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. I mean, modern society is very much about finding things to criticize about other people and scoring points off other people on the internet. So oh, if, yeah. you can, if you can do something and be like, just played the craziest show of my life, unfortunately, this guitar got broken. Somebody will always be like, you know, how would you be so careless with something like that? <laughs> and it's just yeah. like, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I felt pretty good about how it happened. Yeah. Like it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't for nothing. It was for an experience. A lot of people had together that they really enjoyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go back together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there is something to be said for like the more, God, who was it that got really criticized about smashing Phoebe, a guitar on Phoebe SNL? Bridgers. Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. And oh, so yeah, like, yeah. That kind of thing where it is just for show and the plan was to break it mm. is, I mean, if you've got money and you can buy things and break it, it's whatever. It's not, yeah. I think she smashed a Dan Electro yeah. or something like that. It's like, you know, 
this is part of the show. You think it didn't like also cost tens of thousands of dollars to do other aspects of that? It's probably the cheapest yeah. part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's also just her guitar, like whatever. I mean, yeah. I've seen terrible bands and I've seen crowds sort of uninterested until they smash their guitars to bits and then afterwards people have been like wow that was incredible i'm like was it incredible or was it just (laughs) you've never actually seen someone smash something into the floor before i don't know but then you watch like oliver ackerman and you're like oh yeah guitar smashing is really tame by comparison to what he's doing (laughs) yeah well yeah and it's sort of like what he's doing is this like ritual of like breaking the thing reassembling it breaking it again and I don't know, it's like this, like, probably ship of Theseus thing by the time he gets to the end of it. Because I watch YouTube videos going through their shop, and he's like, mm, yeah. here's this jazz master that's in, like, the body is in, like, four pieces, and it's been screwed <laughs> yeah. together. And he's going to take it out again. And I'm like, man, if I got to that point, I would just be like, all right, that one's in a pile on the floor. I'm going to get one that I'm confident in. Yeah. But like, yeah. It's part the, of it. Mm. Yeah, it's part of it. And it's like, honestly, that's like, what he's doing is art because like, yeah, yeah, because like the instrument is like, you know, been broken and reassembled and been broken and reassembled. It's not for nothing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's part of the project. I also love that. It seems like a lot of his guitars are like vintage Jags and jazz masters. And uh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's not like he's just buying squires to fuck up. I I just so deeply love that. And I know mm. how much that probably bothers so many people. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's, you know, they are like the real things. But this yeah. is the same, like every piece of desirable gear in sort of like the gear nerd world. Yeah. 20 years ago cost $200. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, a Model T is $5,000 nowadays. You know, the reason people used them in the 90s is that they cost $100. Yeah. Nobody cared yeah. about offsets until, you know, the mid 2000s and they were very affordable. So it's just like things have rapidly exploded in price and now people are like, "Oh, this is this is a shame." And it's like every one of those pieces of gear was just a junker 20 years ago. And that's when those people all got it. And then you hear all those stories of people finding things in dumpsters or radio stations going out of business and just giving stuff away and all that kind of thing and yeah, it's just it was a completely different plane for people that liked big, heavy, inconvenient gear. <laughs> yeah, or just like having having an interesting thing and discovering by chance that it did something cool. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, at this point in history, we've kind of like run out of the sleepers, so to speak, and now everything everything is known and expensive, and so like mm. the the sleepers are the things that are like unlikely to become exciting. Like Randall solid state amps are really cool. But like if aside from the ones that have the dime bag connection, all of them are kind of like inexpensive and forgotten and probably aren't going to explode because they're not tube amps and they're not like Mm -hmm. necessarily the cool thing, but it's like, you know, even trainers and music man amps are, you know, a thousand dollars nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And And they were, they were nothing. It's like the Sovtex as well. Like, they were mm-hmm. dirt cheap. Yeah, and like the thing about some of that stuff is, you know, like Sobtex and PVT series guitars are all big money now, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, that gear is like should be three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's an appropriate like, price. It's mm-hmm. it's built to that level. Like 
it's not it's cool but it's not these are not like thousand dollar guitars those amps mm-hmm. should not be selling for what you know like a much better built jcm 900 costs yeah yeah like you're like you're you're buying it for all that money to find out if you're the person that needs to do the big repair on it mm-hmm. because you yeah. crank it up and it breaks <laughs> yeah yeah it's true I- and the amount, the amount of like vintage pedals you open up and you're like, like, what were they smoking when they built this? Like I've done the same with amps where you open it up and you're like, Jesus, how does this even work? Um, but then I guess oh, that's yeah. the time. And then you have to reverse engineer it to work out how to fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's true. Like about the solid state amp thing as well. I remember playing like an, an H and H hundred watt solid state head in a practice room one time and being like, Oh, this is like, you know, this sounds awesome. It looks like shit, mm. but it sounds awesome. And then, like, looking them up on eBay or something, and they were really cheap. And then I was looking at them the other day, and I was like, oh, people, I feel like people are actually buying these now. Like, at the time, I felt like they were just, well, shitty practice room amps. Mm. But, yeah, there's there's no secrets anymore. No, it's like that Selma treble and bass we were talking about that I got given uh, Oh yeah, this they week. Used- but- you could get them on eBay for like nothing at one point. Like, and that so wasn't even cheap. that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. They're I think expensive. those have an association with an artist, don't they? Like, a, Oh, is that like why? A, yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Well, I think there's like a Jack White kind of thing. Also, at least, I don't know what Maybe it's like over there, but thing? they're, yeah. I mean, it would probably be a English artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely like a, in the US, there's a quality of like the lesser known British stuff is exciting and exotic if it's mm-hmm. not a Vox or a Marshall or a High Watt. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that stuff is you never see it and it's always like pretty pricey when you do. Yeah, I have not seen a single Selma amp over here. But, mm, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at my like pile of weird shit that's next to me. Have you ever heard <laughs> of uh, of rock amplification? It's rock spelled R O double K. Uh, no, but that sounds like, sick. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking right. I've got like this old like PA head, which sounds great. Like it's, a, it's just a solid state uh, PA head with reverb built in. I've never opened it up, but I, I think I like posted it to Instagram or something, and I got like an email off some guy at some point who was like, "My granddad made those. Um, could you email him?" And I was like, oh, "I don't really know. <laughs> That's cool. What, I wouldn't know what to email him. Like, I have a, an app that you built. What?" 50 bro, years ago bro can you it's cool head? <laughs> yeah yeah what's wrong with it why is it humming is it a spring reverb or is it what is what kind of it reverb sounds, is it? yeah no it must be a spring reverb because i haven't opened it up but when you punch it you can hear it clanging you ah, know? Yes. The oh yes you know as you often do yeah <laughs> that's how you check yeah all right let's t- mm. let's take this back to bsri because i thought i could mm. talk about this stuff all day but um True. you recently brought out your uh your soft rains reverb dave do you want to mm-hmm. tell us a bit about the development and like where the idea came from? Because I played it at CME, and it's such like a I don't I feel like calling it a dense textural reverb <laughs> sounds like ridiculous, but that's that's what I got from it. Like, what what was the development for that pedal like? Uh, so, in a, in a new band that I'm working on, I wanted to. I've always been like a reverb in the effects loop of an amp guy, and I've mm-hmm. I've been largely like in my bands an amp distortion guy and so in this band i decided i was like you know what i'm gonna do i built myself a high watt and i said i'm gonna do pedal dirt i'm gonna like use just the stuff that i make 
in this band um, for everything. And the high watt doesn't have a loop. And I said, maybe I should just do all the verb in front of dirt and just have everything be really washy and sort of chaotic in this project. And so I set about designing sort of like a belt and brick reverb that would sound really good in front of distortion pedals and overdrives. So basically what I wanted to do was have EQ on the wet signal so you can keep it from getting overly harsh on the high end. Or, you know, if it's overly woofy in the low end, you can dial that back. Mm. Um, And then I wanted the sort of like the oscillation feature that you see on a lot of reverbs nowadays. Just ways to sort of drop in blasts of feedback. Mm. But I also wanted to push the Belton basically as far as it could go and have some EQ. So it's not, you know, it's not like really a crazy circuit and there's not like a lot of innovation in it. It's just like my tweak on a thing that I, I think a fair amount of builders are doing. Mm. Um, you know, there's like the Caroline made or, and I think the, the, when the sun explodes pedal is probably like similar stuff. I think the industrial electric is kind of a similar idea. Mm. Um, I just wanted to, to put a little bit of a spin. It's like, you know, if you want to suck all the low out of the reverb and just have everything be, you know, like real, all the high end just blasting a drive pedal into sort of like a big washy, clangy, messy thing mm. for playing, you know, for playing one note, but making it last mm. a long time and fill a lot of space is kind of a, a thing that I'm really into right now. And so that's like just the pedal I wanted to do it. It, it took a lot of the things that took a lot of work in that pedal were infrastructure things like the mixer stage and, you know, getting the voicing of everything right. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's kind of just like, it's the belt and brick just sounds good and it does the job really nicely. Yeah. And I think there's something about that style of reverb that works so well before dirt or in the in like a dirt sandwich mm. as well. Having that, like you say, using the, having the option to take the low end out does make it a lot more, uh, uh, usable, um, especially with like low tunings and stuff. Oh yeah. Well, and the, um, they just work so well in front of dirt because there's like a 30 second, 30 millisecond pre delay. That's just fixed. That's as short as it can get. So it kind of like stays a little away from the attack. And yeah. so you get sort of like a little bit of the note clarity before the wash comes in behind it. Yeah. It's almost like having a, it's like a doubling, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's essentially, with a reverb like that, you are running it in parallel and then blending it back in with your dry signal. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd really like having you know the reverb going into distortion, just not necessarily for it to be a reverb though, but more for like space filling. Like, I feel like you can make things sound big, not necessarily reverby. You know, it's like the actual reverb side of it isn't what interests me. It's the fact that. When you get to a chorus or whatever, it, everything can expand um, and like blow up. I think. Well, in a, in a in a band context, that kind of changes the way that you might play a part. Mm-hmm. If you are, if what you're hearing coming back to you is so washy and sort of blown apart by the reverb, yeah. In like an improvising situation, like you, what you hear will totally change the way you perceive what you're playing. Yeah. Mm. I think there's there's something quite satisfying as well. I know people complain about it, but w- when you have to sort of adjust your playing to the behavior of a pedal, I find that 
well, in my experience, I feel like it makes me play much more interesting parts because I have to break like my muscle memory to be like, okay, well, what is this doing and how can I play sort of against it so that I get something out of it that's that sounds good, I guess. Dude, it's, that's um, the most inspiring. When you get a, like a new pedal or something and it like makes you play differently, that's like mm-hmm. one of the most exciting things. <laughs> mm. Oh, 100%. And that's, there's... It's that inspiration. I feel like there's two different kinds of players. Players that want their gear to just do exactly what they want it to do, yeah. and people want that want their gear to change what they do. Mm-hmm. And sort of like, you know, gear is just a tool, and I need it to do this thing now, or gear is the thing that's going to inspire me to create. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And there's a place for both, obviously, but like, uh, I don't know, maybe just play, play a lot of pedals, and maybe it's that's why i'm so like obsessed with the like I, i'm trying to think of something recent that did it It was like slowly melting or mirror house those like kinds of pedals like just make make me like play mm. completely differently to usual that's exciting maybe i need a ds2 maybe that will truly inspire that's me. probably what it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you know that, that there's this guy called kurt cobain who actually used one of those i think you uh you might like it simon check it out i've heard of that guy yeah, he's uh, he's pretty big. I think like he's like an American guy or something. American guy. <laughs> There's a few of those. It narrows it down. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like it, it's interesting now that we've spoken about sort of like things that change the way you're playing. Before you came on, Dave, we were just talking about buffers, basically, and um, we were talking about your pedal, the little mountains, little valleys, and yeah sort of how um i mean i guess you could call me ignorant but i've never thought that much i mean i've oh yeah i've got a bit of a boss thing as well i just like having a boss pedal or two on my board at all times so i've always got buffers in there but i guess it's not something that people are really considering that much and i i was just interested as to how um that sort of pedal came about like what was the uh problem you were solving i guess or or what was it that you were aiming for with that design well i had a huge board at home and the tuner i was using because i'm always like on my live boards yeah there's always like a boss tu3 or something like that up front so i'm always like you know i'm not suffering from high-end loss for Mm -hmm. the most part and but at home i was using a a tuner that's true bypass. And I had just, you know, probably half a dozen true bypass pedals before the amp input. And that puts a pretty noticeable low pass on Mm -hmm. the guitar signal after all of those cable connections and capacitance. Yeah. And so I wanted to make a pedal. I originally just made a buffer and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to make a buffer, jam it under the board and forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, I want a thing that's kind of like a buffer, but then, you know, if I plug in a guitar that's kind of anemic, like I can do a little bit of a bass boost and, or if it's a little bit too bright, I can cut off a little high end, but I wanted those to be, um, I wanted it to be literally that. So either boosting or cutting not necessarily saying that like, oh, a bass boost that's really a a low pass that's like cutting highs. 
Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to be like a recording tool. And so, but I wanted it to be just like a little different and do it with toggles instead of, you know, having, you know, a graphic EQ or pots. So what I ended up doing was just saying, okay, here's three frequencies that I think are really valuable in my rig and for most people. And so mm-hmm. it's a hundred Hertz on the base, uh, about 750 Hertz on the mid and about 4k on the treble. So like the treble is kind of like cutting or boosting, like those sort of like air frequencies for a guitar where the amp is still making those. The speaker cabinet is still able to reproduce those sounds. Mm. Um, That's that. And that control is just shelving. The bass control is like a, a relatively tight cue. So it's not boosting, you know, a bunch of stuff that's just going to make a mess down at, you know, like, below 100 it's just like a relatively tight punchy chunky 100 hertz not going too far outside that realm and yeah. then the the mid boost is like pretty broad it's basically like come up in the mix you know dip back in the mix but it's not mm-hmm. it's not super notchy and those are just sort of like once you start flicking toggles because you know there's 27 combinations you can do um plus a couple db of boost and they're they're only like three or four dB boosts. So they're not, you're not turning up a toggle and hearing like a, like you turned on a pedal sort of. It's just sort of like reshaping the contour. So it's like little mountains and little valleys that can sort of like solve little problems or tune Mm. for the room, stuff like that. I don't know. It's, Mm. it's, I really like it. It's, it's a difficult pedal to market, but when you put it in front of somebody or when somebody like, buys one and puts on their board they're like oh i love this thing Mm. and and in practice i think it's kind of just like a little bit of a a finely tuned clean boost for people that you know if you hit one of those toggles and going up it's kind of just like kicking up a pickup output level it's it's real subtle and you know it's like a nice compact little pedal doesn't take up a bunch of room on the board but it gives you some extra sounds and it's also just like a really when it's off, it's a really high head room, clean, straightforward buffer that'll just keep everything sounded good. I like as well having everything on toggles is as mm, simple it's a good as interface. like yeah, it's like oh better, yeah, 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 better or worse, better or worse, yeah, just, just easy to like shoot it out. And like I say, it's it's like enough to make a difference, but not enough to be like oh, that sounds like a completely different thing now. It's like more of a feel thing, and like yeah, it's just like a little. Just like such a nice, like tidy little utility product, and the name, yeah, the name only just made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> when you said it, then, as well, yeah, I was like, oh my god, it makes total sense. Well, that was the first. That was the first of the pedals where I started doing the long names. Yeah, and okay. now, now everything new has like a big long name, and yeah. it's like a tribe called Quest. You have to say the whole thing every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being from like the MySpace screamo scene, I'm hugely yeah a big yeah, fan just, of long names. Get rid of all those spaces. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Add some more. Yeah, just long joke song titles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny that that's back nowadays because that was oh, yeah. sort of like out of fashion for a while, and now all these a lot of kids that like are finding out about MySpace bands are doing the the long song titles and jokey song titles again, which is like yeah. just such a hard throwback for me having. <laughs> having been there <laughs> yeah oh, i love it I, I just want the fringes to come back that's I, that's what i'm going to petition for that you got you've got why are they it. leaving that bit out yeah i will i'm going to grow mine out 
I don't have the hair for it. Yeah. Okay. I just get like a big bushy afro. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go down the wig route. Or straighteners. Yeah. Or straighteners, yeah, true. Oh yeah. I mean, I would say ninety percent of those guys had the flat iron out before oh, yeah. the set yeah. every day. Big time. Definitely. It was on the rider. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the last I mean, you tell me actually, I when you're now working with Damnation Audio as part of Damnation Audio. How how did that come around? So Jeff Davis, who was the founder of Damnation Audio, mm-hmm. um was basically like at a high production period at the, the start of the pandemic. And he, you know, he was doing his day job from home and he didn't really have to, he didn't want to be up until like two in the morning building pedals, like after work, after feeding the kids, after attending to all of like the grown up life things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And so we had met just both, both living in Baltimore. And I actually just like went over to his house to buy one of his pedals. He hit me up and say, Hey, would you be interested in like coming over and just, helping me build stuff or doing manufacturing you know in my shop and that transitioned into me just going over there like every friday and building batches of damnation stuff Mm. and you know we went sort of back and forth on like doing a collaboration project which that ended up being the saltbox workshop spite box and which was like a uh a bass fuzz that had a blendable upper octave and a like a boost only bass control. And it's just like crushing bass, like the heaviest bass fuzz imaginable for us as like two guys that do a lot of bass playing, mm-hmm. playing Dowtoon stuff. And what that kind of evolved into was just Saltbox Workshop is our company that is the the parent company of damnation audio and bsri oh, uh. and so the the like crazy sort of like businessy angle is that like saltbox workshop is our partnership jeff is the brand manager for damnation i'm the brand manager for bsri mm. but ultimately it's just like we're we're building stuff together doing the design work and jeff handles a lot of the like business side of things which he's really good at and he's that's what he likes to do. And I handle a lot of like the design work, the part sourcing, the engineering side of things, which I really like doing. And it's sort of just like the perfect match of like, we're each bringing the things that we like doing and that we're good at to the table. Yeah. Just like trying to make really good stuff. So mm. damnation has a couple products right now that we're really, really excited about. Like MBD is just like a really flexible base distortion that, you know, works great for people that are looking for like a little grit or also just like a crushing wall of distortion. Um, Dirt Fixer is our utility product. It's a, it's a loop pedal, like a true bypass loop pedal that has a um, custom contoured clean blend that cuts a little low mid, cuts a little high, boosts a little bass. So that it's like what you would do in a studio situation to blend clean low end with a distortion sound. But then the the wet loop of that pedal, where you put the distortion pedal or really any pedal you want, has a four band active EQ. So you can take, you know, any any kind of like distortion or fuzz pedal that sounds like anything and just turn it into your idealized bass drive tone 
just with this one box. Mm-hmm. And it's just like probably one of the most incredibly satisfying things I've ever worked on because like you'll plug a, you know, things that are objectively terrible for bass yeah. into this pedal and turn them into just like the most incredible bass pedal you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's, I'm actually like, we just bought five. I went on reverb. I bought five pedals that were under $50 because we need like demo content that shows, you know, just like how transformative yeah. it is. So I have like a zoom bass multi effect from the early two thousands. Oh yeah. That just like, I have very fond memories of Zoom because my first pedal was a Zoom 505. Yeah. Mm. In like 1999. Man, if you just like plug into it, it it doesn't sound great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you put it in if you put it in the loop of the dirt fixer, man, it sounds really good. <laughs> and it's just like it's so it's just a fun thing to use, but it's also a utility product. And so it's like that kind of stuff is like a little bit difficult to get people into until you yeah. can put it in front of them. And we, we actually had to like on the demo board, we have to build a separate box that allows people to go back to the sound, not affected by dirt fixer in order to like go back to hearing to like, like beat them. yeah, because like, here's what this pedal really sounds like. If you didn't have this tool now go back yeah. to this button and just like, it is it is insane. It's like the difference between hearing like, you know, sounds and like just when you're tracking a record and the mastered record. Mm, yeah. It, well, it I, is so dramatic. I think people can be like, I, I hesitate to use the word lazy, but people love to sort of just suggest a clean blend whenever anything is used with bass, but it's not as simple as just, you know, blending the clean signal back into it i think you need those extra parameters to really make it like work i think sort of coming from people who really understand what they're doing rather than just having someone who's been building guitar pedals and someone said oh could you put a clean blend on the end of it just so i can use it with bass i think it's quite well I, people ask me about stuff like that a lot and uh um i knew that damnation had some sort of blender i don't know if they had, was there a blender yeah, we used to do true bypass bass blender. Mm. We used I, to basically just do those. a low pass filtered uh, true bypass loop, and that was like what we made for a long time. And it took us a long time to develop Dirt Fixer and like get the feature set and the the EQ yeah. and everything really right. Mm. And that was like sort of like the hardware and power supply platform that we build everything else on now. So oh, cool! It it was a lot of front end work to get to the point where it's like, oh, now we can develop a thing, you know, where we're just worrying about, like, what's in the middle of the overall circuit. So it's, like, it's been a really interesting process working on that stuff compared to, like, what I do with BSRI, where every pedal's kind of, like, its own thing with its own unique design elements. Yeah. Um, Damnation is, like, a much more, like, curated, iterative process. But you're right about... I think the the... I think companies that don't really understand bass players have kind of done a disservice Mm -hmm. to bass players by just like, oh, we'll just throw a clean blend on Mm -hmm. it, which is just Mm -hmm. like wrapping the full range clean. And it's that doesn't add lows. What you end up adding is treble and clank and all of the stuff that you don't want in the clean signal. 
And then the clean signal like cuts through the distortion in a really unpleasant way. And it's mm-hmm. all separated and weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this is not like, go track bass in a studio, go track distorted bass in a studio, mm-hmm. and then have the engineer solo whatever like the foundational low thing is, and you're not going to hear clank in it. Like all no. that stuff you don't want. And it's like, it's, it's like, I don't mean to criticize other brands, but like the biggest no. players in bass pedals just wrap full range clean blends around their dirt circuit. And it just doesn't, it doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do, or it doesn't mm-hmm. do the thing that you're claiming it's supposed to do by retaining low end. It's just creating a weird two sound signal that is going to sound bad in the mix. Yeah. And I think that's what's so, what I love about Damnation is that it's like bass pedals done properly. And it's like, it's not like yeah. it's, it's not a guitar pedal company making a bass not pedal. Not an afterthought. It's no, built from it's, the ground up. And like, I, 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 it turns me into a broken record because like every bass player I work with, I'm like, get rid of your Sans amp, get an MBD or get a Dirtfix. I like, I'm just like, this is what people should be using now. Like, you know, mm. I, in, since the I played because I hadn't played any of those pedals before the uh, the pedal expo thing, and after that I was just like in all my bands I'm like okay everyone has to buy one of these now <laughs> like <laughs> this is like this is like the new thing this is like what bass should be now. <laughs> well, we were so like Jeff was didn't know how that event was going because it was like there's not going to be anybody else selling stuff for bass here. There's not going to be a lot of bass mm. players, but then. You know, we talked to a lot of people. There were a lot of people that came through and play bass. And Ron Pesky from Bong Ripper came through and hung out yeah. and like had his super low tuned EGC bass. And such a cool bass. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just crushing. Like, you know, it was really good to like talk to people about that stuff. And we, you know, we weren't sure how Damnation was going to do. Mm. Um, but it, you know, it did well. Plus, like CME has been a dealer for Damnation for a while, so it was it was good to like connect with the people that are working there now, and like yeah. be in the shop and like get a little bit of FaceTime because it was kind of wild. It was really wild. I've been in CME like plenty of times on tour, just like passing through, being there for fifteen mm. minutes, and then going to get food. But to spend you know like twelve hours in that yeah. place and be <laughs> you know wandering through the back halls or like you know I was like in the basement eating Thai food on a break. And then somebody handed me a 55 Les Paul to play for a minute. And it was just like, I was like, Oh, this place is like quite, quite an experience that I never really got a sense of because I just like did a lap and then left because yeah, you know, it's a very, if it's not full of 150 people at a time, it's kind of like an intimidating fussy looking space, Mm. but yeah, you know, the people there know their stuff they'll let you play anything you want and they they have all the toys i felt the same way because i'd my first time there was exactly the same on tour passed through to get some stuff and left and then since i've lived here i've only been there maybe once and that was just to like emergency get some strings and like i had i did the lap and then i left so same thing i was being there for like 12 hours and chatting to people and actually having a look properly at everything there it was definitely changed made, made me feel a bit more interested in the store yeah well and also just like there's i ended up like buying a guitar while i was there and the the lady that helped me her name was ren 
was just like really, I don't know. It was like one of those buying experiences where there's like no pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and it's just like, oh yeah, it's like, I'll pull this down. You can play it. And like they, like them putting in effort to like work with you on like the price of things and the experience and was just like something that you generally don't experience in that kind of large guitar store elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. especially, especially like people that, by and large like look like us like punk rock guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know sometimes they're like you know please don't touch anything we know that you yeah. can't even afford ramen <laughs> yeah and it's like oh it's like no it's like i have a house like i'm just wearing black jeans <laughs> yeah i've just dressed the same for the last 15 years like yeah yeah <laughs> I, I have nice things it's okay <laughs> yeah it's like i'm not i'm not gonna break your thing but i also think that like there's a quality of like if you if you know what the obscure expensive thing is on the wall, you probably know enough to not break it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's it's like a weird sort of respect thing as well because when you get the sort of like you know it's like a used car salesman technique where you get just get embarrassed by questions and all sorts when you walk into a guitar shop. It makes me just walk back out again. I think, um, but I don't know if that's just my personality. <laughs> it doesn't like really work with having you know strangers talk to me uh in person yeah i mean i've i've had that experience in a lot of guitar shops where mm-hmm. like and this was like especially true during covid where a lot of places went to like appointment only but i remember mm-hmm. like being on a vacation and going into a shop and like walking in the door that was open and like a guy gruffly was like do you have an appointment we're appointment only and it's just like it's like cool. I might have come in and bought something, mm. but now mm. definitely not. Never coming I, back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like wearing a mask and stuff. Like it was just like, it's like I wasn't. You know, it's just like there's no sign on the door. The door's unlocked. Yeah. Mm. Just take it down a couple notches. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> just like, dude, just let me like do a lap and see if you have anything that like looks cool to me. But like mm. that kind of that kind of like weird customer service in a lot of high end shops is like, if you don't walk in and accidentally spill a briefcase full of money, they don't want to have anything to do with you. No, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so odd that that's the norm as well. Like you'd think that that would be like, you know, some weird shop full of strange people, but that does seem to be like the recurring thing. It's the same in the UK as well. Where... That's, I was going to say with like Denmark street, like, and yeah. I don't know if it's different now, but I used to like never ever go to Denmark Street because like it was ne- there was never anything I wanted. I haven't been in years, yeah. They never had the strings that I used, like my like thirteen to fifty six or whatever. They'd never stock them, and I've I was like, I'm either I'm not going to buy a ten thousand pound Les Paul, and I'm also not going to buy a hundred and fifty pound Stag. So like, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. nothing. I I have no reason, and they're also the only pedals you have are like you know not not interesting to me mm. so it's just like uh it was weird i found sh- guitar shopping in the uk really difficult um oh yeah just couldn't find a happy medium between places that had something that was interesting or had something that was affordable the the new york shops were like that when i was a teenager and just like going there on a trip you went to like 48th street which none of those places exist anymore mm. but mm-hmm. they were very they were very stuffy and they had stuff that you know you'd only seen on the internet was you know crazy valuable or stuff like that but there was the the experience of like shopping or trying things out and it was like oh you want to try an amp out 
here's the cheapest, crappiest shop guitar we have. Yeah, oh, you want to um, try a guitar out? You can plug into this Fender Solid State amp. It's like you were only <laughs> trying, you were only trying out one thing, and yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't like have all of the things because they kind of just wanted you to leave. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's so weird, isn't it? I've definitely bought stuff just because someone's been really nice to me, or like when you've tried something out and they've brought you like the really expensive guitar to try it, and I'm like, ah. Oh. This has completely if, like, shifted my mood now. I'm like, this is fucking sick. Like, I feel like an actual human being. Or if they ask you, like, oh, what amp do you play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you're yeah. like, oh, you're giving me the best customer service right now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> now. The standard is so low, but it doesn't yeah, exactly. work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to touch on as well the collaboration pedal you did with Sheer Revival. Oh yeah, uh, I I love that brand. Zach's like a good friend, and like uh, that pedal was really cool. How did that come about? Zach just reached out to me, and he was like, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" And I he wanted to do like a percolator, and I had just done a percolator. So at that point, I was Mm -hmm. like, I was like, sure. I mean, I'll make you a thing. I've just done a ton of research on, and we'll like make it yours. So we ended up putting a gain stage on the front of it, on the front end of it, so it's like way crazier gain wise and texture wise than a percolator normally is and um you know it just has kind of like a simple tone control but it is it does the thing and he kind of just let me run with it i sent him one version and he came back with some notes i built him a i changed the architecture sent him that one and he was like yeah this is it and uh it really was kind of like a collaboration because his graphic design person um, I sent them just sort of like the the idea behind like how the PCB faceplate medium works and what the mm-hmm. limitations of it are and sort of like wh- what the format is. And we went back and forth a little bit because like once you take a finely designed graphic and turn it into a essentially low resolution bitmap, there was like a mm. there was like a cat in the graphic that was, you know, it's like very small, like maybe half an inch tall. And it went from looking like a nice cute cat to like looking like a grumpy cat because the face got all mangled. So we went <laughs> back and forth on like making some changes to like tiny little bits of the graphic design before like really nailing it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we did a batch and we've been talking about doing a new thing because I think they're having their 10th anniversary right now. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Zach's just like, a a great dude to work with and also just like a a great player i remember like Mm -hmm. uh relic music shop who i met through zach mike nicosia he ended up like picking up bsri and shortly after that like i went up to their anniversary party event and finally got to like see zach like play guitar with his band and sing and i remember standing there with like with uh with john snyder john snyder and alec (laughs) And, and like our jaws just dropped at how good of like a front man and a player this dude was. Yeah. It's just like the real deal. And, you know, seeing somebody like play the things that you've made on stage and like make interesting use of them is really, is like basically as good of an experience as you can have as a pedal builder. And it's like, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a famous person. Yeah. 
Although that is exciting. Actually, I was like, right before we got on this call, I saw Rotosound had done a video with Adam Devonshire of Idols. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. like a couple minutes into that video, there's just like, he steps on an FCZ and like, that's his bass fuzz tone. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, like they, they show it in the video and I'm like, oh my God. And then it's just like that bass fuzz sound happening through the end of the video. And I was just like, man, this is like a crazy experience. That's so cool. Those guys have um, really, I feel like they really seek out interesting pedals as well. Because I think the, one of the guitar players was using uh, an intensive care audio pedal for quite a while as well. They have, yeah. it looks like they have so much gear. Like I think that yeah. one dude has a huge, huge pedal board. Yeah. And I feel like one of them plays keys as well as guitar and has like separate boards for each of them. Um, I'm pretty sure like the entire Death by Audio line is on somewhere in there. I remember seeing the um, <laughs> Space Bender before it came out on one of their boards, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and they're like, they're, they're doing really interesting punk rock music at a level where punk rock doesn't usually get to exist. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's there. It's in very interesting, and I, I, I always love seeing like people committing to being a gear band as well. Because mm. especially when you get into that level, it could be so easy to switch to something a bit more travel friendly. And uh... <laughs> there's always something quite nice as well about like bands becoming popular that aren't like this is going to make me sound like an ass, but that aren't like you know virtuoso guitar players. Like they are just like hammering guitars for some points that aren't necessarily mm. playing any fucking notes at all like it's i always find it quite uh what's the word it's like invigorating being able to see that at the forefront like it's not necessarily like a talent thing at that point it's like it's just cool noisy stuff and people can still appreciate it in a relatively like mainstream fashion i don't know i find it quite inspiring that sort of stuff yeah no i know what you mean and it comes back to the whole performance thing as well. Like it's just a mm. big old performance. Well, there's a, there's that really famous uh, Kurt Cobain quote that like page 99 used at the beginning of their, one of the records. That's like, it doesn't matter what you play, you play as loud as you want, as sloppy as you want, as long as it's oh, real yeah. and has passion, which is just like that. If what you do is sincere and real and you do it well, like people will take notice doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get to be like idols but the people in the room that see you play will be will take notice of what you're doing and like their jaws will be on the ground yeah Mm, i think sincerity like just it's it's got a massive impact when you play a show like when you see a band and they like mean it it is it's such it's so much more uh exciting to watch i think Mm. Mm. oh yeah and that's like i I don't really go to like big shows ever. Like the, the bands that I want to see are all just like my friends shows that are playing DIY spaces, mm-hmm. but really like the, the most compelling performances I've ever seen have been like in basements and tiny rooms yeah. Oh, yeah. and that have like, you know, just sort of like changed how you think about an instrument or like how you think about gear, like what mm-hmm. is, what is possible compared to like at the higher levels of the industry where like there's just various barriers that strip any of the like the weirdness away Mm -hmm. yeah just gets sort of diluted plus it's like 
proper wit like sometimes you'll watch a video of like some band uh like playing a festival on some ridiculously large stage and it just seems so sort of anti-band to me to see you know it's like a three-piece and they're like 100 meters whatever like they're a full stage away from each other just doesn't seem like because i always think of like that sort of music is like it's like a cohesive thing everyone's playing together you're all sort of like feeding off of everyone else's energy it must be like so odd to have i mean saying that like idols will play a massive stage and they're still like all over the all over the stage but i think it definitely depends on the band it is a thoroughly different experience like playing those like wide deep Mm -hmm. stages where you're like very far apart from each other and like um i always think of like those really old blink 182 videos of them playing big festivals around like take off your pants and jacket kind of era mm-hmm. and it's just like they're just like sprinting from <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh yeah 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 the other one i think of in that context is like uh like there's videos of like dillinger skate plan at reading festival yeah in the in the or and there's only like two there's only two videos like on the internet it's sugar-coated sour and come to daddy mm-hmm. and and they're just like you know having seen them like many, many, many times in like small rooms where like feels physically dangerous and like the band is on top of you to then see them like on a huge stage like that during the daytime, the barrier is 20 (laughs) feet from the stage and, and just like still trying to like put the same amount of energy into an experience where it's like, there isn't a person within 50 feet of you Mm -hmm. is like a really like a wild experience compared to seeing somebody whose like career is sort of like built for that enormous stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's impressive when you see it like that energy carried like a band like uh, Dillinger, I mean. There's some crazy clips I've seen of that band play. I've only ever seen them once and that was like one of their last shows or at least the last time they played in the UK. Um <laughs> so uh probably towards the end of <laughs> probably tired by that point. Dude, I Dinger Escape Plan was one of the first shows I ever went to when I was. Oh, like, wow. 14. Oh, really? I saw Dinger Escape Plan in Poison the Well. Oh, that was, yeah. uh, that was like Take Action Tour. Yeah. Or maybe that was. Yeah, because The Locust was on that tour too, right? Not in the UK. It was a band called. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Ep of Duath. Maybe Ep of Duath. I can't quite remember. But I, I went because I was obsessed with Poison the Well. Still am. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and then I remember watching Dinger Escape Plan. It was one, and like I said, it was one of the first shows I've ever been to. And I was just like, "This is the best thing ever!" Mm. Like mind <laughs> blown. <laughs> yeah, I think I was the same with Every Time I Die. Like it's just like chaos the entire time they're playing, and it proper like. I think it's like when you're. It's, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but when you see stuff like that, and your teenage mind sees it, it's like oh shit! Like I didn't realize that this could even happen in this capacity. Like, yeah. I didn't realize this is what actually happened, especially when it's like that. Well, that one of the first, every time I die shows I went to, uh, there was a picture of me in Kerrang the next, <laughs> wherever it was. Hell like, yeah. the next week. That's and so I'm on sick. the stage, like sweating to fuck. Like you can see, like I'm like knackered from just like, yeah. you know, being a teenager in those shows. But, um, it was just so weird to me. I think it was like the first time I'd ever really thought about the fact that those people were actually like, people doing stuff do you know you yeah don't really think about it when you're 
living in the middle of fucking nowhere listening to these cds they're just you never think that you that you could just walk onto that stage that they're on as well i just looked it up and that show was 2004 every time i die is the band is the band for me that like changed the way that i put together sets for a show yeah and because they would play like an hour and 45 minutes and there would be like two breaks in that set it would just be like songs so like everything was like glued together and it Mm -hmm. was like it wasn't like it's really weird to me when i see a band nowadays and they're like play a song stop tune play a song stop tune yeah and just like it's so it feels so tedious so it's like for like 10 plus years now, 15 years when I've been like putting together sets and bands, it's like, no, we're going to play like these four songs. There's going to be a brief tuning break with a sample another four songs. There's going to be one yeah. talking break and then we're going to play two and then it's out. Yeah. And it's like a lot of that came from seeing every time I die, just like play these punishing, like straight through shows mm, in the mid two thousands yeah. where they were doing that. I feel like once you start doing it, you never go back. Oh, yeah, I, no. I had the similar thing like at some point in a similar time frame I was like we should just not stop if we stop we lose in, we lose momentum mm. like let's see how many songs we can go without stopping <laughs> oh yeah well just like there's nothing like there's nothing figure out a way to have something still happening where like everybody gets to tune just so yeah. there's not like yeah. you don't hear a guy coughing in the back yeah <laughs> or like don't give people a chance to have a conversation in the middle yeah. of your set. Like maintain yeah. their attention. If if you're brutally loud the whole time, they can't talk about like where they're going to go get a drink after. Mm-mm, for sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely like keeping it exciting and keeping it's entertainment, basically, isn't it? Like you keeping yeah. that attention the whole time. I saw I saw Pile a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I they played for it was like a quite a long set. And I remember being at a point where I was like, oh my God, like, no, like, Rick hasn't said anything. And it's been like 30 minutes. I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Also, just like so many people just don't want to, nobody wants to talk on stage. There's not no. really anything to say aside from boilerplate language when you're on tour. It's like, yeah. hey, we have merch in the back. We're on tour with this band. We just put out this record. Come say Thanks hey. Yeah. Mm. Unless you're like bowling for soup and you have like your show is what you say between the songs. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I guess if you can make it your your USP, then it's all right. Like I mean I I'm safe to say that's I will never be in a band like that, but I respect that's it. It's fine. a completely different trade. Yeah. yeah I so there's do a it. band that I've done a couple tours with. They're from uh New York City, they're called Finn. And oh, yeah. uh yeah, Finn is is sick and they they're in the van, they're always listening to like Paul Stan banter on like <laughs> an hour and a half of paul stanley and it's like is anybody and like just <laughs> like hours and hours of that stuff and it's so it's the, totally the opposite of what we're, we're both doing on stage but it's it's like oh yeah there's there are there are bands where like guess- the song is half of the show and the stage banter is the other yeah. half look yeah. 82 is like that too oh totally yeah hmm. Yeah, it's all just one big dick joke. <laughs> and people love it. Pretty much. Yeah, oh yeah. So if it sells. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're getting to a good place to wrap up, but 
what's what's coming next for BSRI? Like, is there something you want to plug? Anything you want to leak? Anything? Uh, what do you want to promo, Dave? Oh man, um, <laughs> I just did the reverb. There's, there's, I don't know. I just make a lot of fun stuff, and I try and make it a little bit different. Mm. But the thing that's coming out next is a pedal called "Get the Name of the Dog," which is an old journalism adage about you know getting all of the details in a story because that's what makes the story interesting. But oh, that man. pedal is the result of sort of like building all of the boss pedals and learning about everything the engineers at boss have done for 30 years and then taking some of their interesting unique bits of technology like their discrete op amp and building you know just like kind of a, a an overdrive pedal with some flexibility and i guess like it's my my cringeworthy kind of like tube screamer soft clipping thing that everybody has to make at some point but it's just like <laughs> it it sounds really good and it's really just like fits into this sort of like low mid gain just plug a guitar into it plug it into a loud amp and it mm-hmm. it'll do all of the tricks and it's like it doesn't need like a crushing amount of like brick wall clipped distortion or anything it's just like the boss discrete op amp has like this interesting dynamic range and it just sounds really good and you know if you give it like the right kind of eq the right the right little tone shaping things it just sounds good so it's Mm. it's kind of just like a it's a fun pedal that fills a, a spot in my line that i haven't really paid any attention to which is just sort of like that low mid gain just like crunchy sound because Ashmaker is so much more like gainy and chunky and high gain kind of stuff yeah mm. oh that's awesome that's exciting that's cool well everyone who wanted one of your boss pedals can buy that yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think you were going to say you're going to put them all in one box but that that's too, too. <laughs> that's that's what reddit wants oh yeah oh my can god you put 27 boss pedals and a big muff <laughs> in one enclosure should i do that do my best. yeah i'll <laughs> definitely do that <laughs> does anybody make an enclosure i could do it in uh, maybe like a a Ford Fiesta bonnet or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I feel like uh, like one of those big, like one of those Hammond folded just metal mm. where it's just like a console thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like an uh, office desk. Yeah, God, that would be interesting. The I know that there's like there are companies that do these like big multi effect things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I wonder if people get those and they'd be like, oh, I spent a thousand dollars on this thing that has 10 effects in it and it's just like it's like oh what if you want to change the order of the effects and they're just all they're all like fixed in one way or you find out that (laughs) you find out that like you only like one of the things in the 10 pedal box and you have this like helix floor size thing that you're just using for like the chorus or something yeah and the current draws like two amps because there's so much stuff in there yeah it's like a just an iec <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah i mean i don't know i just like as much as i love like a like a big project like that the it's always going to be more useful to be able to shift the things around to different places in the signal path because that's where all the that's where all the secrets are is changing the order oh, yeah. of stuff mm-hmm. yeah you never want to be like tied into anything like that yeah hmm. 
where where's the best place for people to find you and keep up to date with everything uh bsriaudio.com at bsriaudio on uh, instagram and youtube and yeah i mean i'm out and about doing things and come say hi hell yeah thank you so much brother brother. oh yeah hey thanks for having me no thanks for for coming on awesome 